Central. Um, so for any unfamiliar faces out there, my name is Chelsea Jasky. Uh, I have the privilege of most days getting to stay home with two lovely boys, but then uh, I get to speak at churches just kind of on the weekend. And then for those of you that I do know, gosh, it's really good to be back. I know I say that all the time, but oh, I just, it's like an exhale getting to be here. So thank you for letting me speak today. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I had all intentions of using a message that I had given at a church a couple years ago at a different church. Uh, But as God would have it, uh, that's exactly not what happened. Um, As I sat down this week to kind of try to put my thoughts together, I just felt like there was this emotional unload. Do you get what I mean by that? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but it just feels like lately things have been awfully heavy, right? And not even just heavy, but just chaotic, confusing, hard, where we don't know where to turn and we don't know how to like hold on to all the things that are going on around us. I mean, we heard just this week of another shooting in our own backyard at Cornerstone in Ames. And it's like, what do we do with that? It's, and it's also this weird time because we're also in this spring season, right? Where we're getting into summer and the weather is starting to get nice out. We're putting away the coldness of winter and the dreariness of it. And so I think a lot of us are trying to just kind of put smiles on our faces and kind of hold on to the hope and just hoping things will get better. But underneath, I think every single one of us were hurting and we're scared and we're confused and we're angry And I think underneath all of that, whether you're a Christian or not, I think all of us are asking, or if not even asking, but thinking the same thing. And we're all asking, why? Why, God, would you allow some of these things that are going on in our lives to happen? Why do all these terrible things happen to your children and to our children If you truly are a good God and you do have a good plan, why would you allow these terrible things to happen? And so that was my goal this week. I sat down and I opened this thing up and I wanted to find an answer why. And you know what? I found my answer and I'm going to give it to you in just a second. Why do bad things happen? And why do bad things especially happen to it seems like good people? And the answer that I found is that we don't know. We don't know. You see, the Bible is very clear that we have a good God and that God does have a plan. But the Bible is also very clear that there are things this side of heaven that we will never be able to understand. But that doesn't sit well with us, right? When I say that the answer to why bad things happen is we don't know, that feels uncomfortable. That doesn't sit well with us because as humans, that's how our brains are wired. We're wired to to find a solution for every problem. We see a problem and we want to try to fix it. And so when there's answers like, well, we don't know, right, that doesn't feel very good. You know, and the good news is, is that While we don't know yet kind of God's plan in all of this, someday we will. 
You know, God's generous enough to not give us that burden this side of heaven, but when we stand in heaven one day, he will impart that knowledge on us. We read in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says this, and this is the message version. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. See it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. So we have good news. We have hope that one day we will be able to know the answer to some of these really tough, hard questions. But until then, we have to understand that we have a very, very magnified view of God's bigger plan. It's almost as if we're looking at something from an extremely zoomed-in point of view. And so to help us kind of understand this concept a little bit more, if you're familiar with my type of teaching, I like to be a little interactive. So we're going to play a game. It's easy. You just get to stay seated. Don't worry. Um, but I'm going to show you some pictures of everyday things, okay, things that you are very familiar with. But the picture is going to be of it zoomed in really up close. And so I just want to hear, just shout them out and shout them out nice and loud so I can hear them. If you guys think you can guess what these everyday things are. Does that make sense? Everybody understand? Okay. Picture numero uno. What do we think this is a picture of? Shout them out nice and loud. A tree? Chocolate? Mountain? Anything else? Okay, nope, you're all wrong. This is actually, this is a bad picture, but this is a cinnamon stick. So a cinnamon stick zoomed in really close. All right, number two. What do you think this is? Boat? Oh, bolts, okay, bolts. Clothes? Bubbles? Sweat? Sweat? Interesting. Sandpaper? Coffee? Cookie? Anything else? So one of you got it right. Coffee. Yeah, there you go. So it's coffee zoomed in and the bubbles on the top there. All right, let's see if we can get number three. What is this? Pencil? Stick? Anything else? No other guesses? Key. So a key. So all of you have keys, right, to your car, to your doors. So zoomed in really close, that's a key. All right, a couple more. What's this? Nice and loud so I can hear it. An egg. Nothing? No guesses? All right, let's, let's show them what this one is. So a bell pepper. You can kind of see that one, right? The seeds zoomed in really close on a bell pepper. All right, and then very last one. This one's a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Carpet, okay. Anything else? Okay, you can show this one. 
Okay, so this is like tapestry, um, and we'll kind of circle. There's a reason why I ended on this one, so we'll, we'll circle back around to this. But basically, a tapestry up close is a bunch of those threads kind of woven in and out, and that's what you saw in that close-up picture. So it just kind of goes to show us, right, that these are objects, maybe not a tapestry, but all the other things are, are objects that we, we hold and we, we use on a daily basis, Right? But even when we have a very magnified, zoomed-in view of these everyday things, we're not very good at seeing the big picture. And it's the same thing with our lives. Each of us live in our own bubble, in our own communities, in our own things going on around us. And we have such a magnified view of God's bigger picture. And so again, there are things this side of heaven that we will not have answers for. And until we get to heaven one day and get that knowledge imparted on us, we have to learn how to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Put another way, we kind of have to be okay living in the gray. You see, there's this life between two gardens, the Garden of Eden and the Garden of Heaven. And right now, we're in this messy middle. And we have to learn how sometimes in this messy middle, life is uncomfortable. There are things that we will never understand and that will never make sense in our human minds. And so we have to learn instead of just running away or throwing up our hands and throwing in the towel and saying, well, because I don't understand this, that must mean that there really isn't a God. Or that must mean that God's plan isn't really good. Instead of avoiding those uncomfortable feelings, and giving up on them, we have to learn how to lean in. We have to learn how to sometimes sit and be comfortable being uncomfortable. And look, you guys, I am a professional when it comes to avoiding my problems, okay? Like, I am a nine on the Enneagram, if you're familiar with that. If not, it's just a personality, one of many personality tests. But basically, I avoid conflict like it is my job, okay? I will procrastinate. I will just pretend the problem doesn't exist. I can just sleep right through any problem. Because for me, if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. All of us have our own coping mechanisms to deal with these these things that just feel icky and uncomfortable. Some of us busy ourselves with work to distract ourselves from some of those hard things. Some of us maybe fill these voids with fun things, again, to try to take us away from those negative feelings, but make us feel a little bit better. Some of us will maybe sit there and just mull over the problem or worry about it, think of every worst-case scenario, so that way, in case it happens, we feel prepared. But all of this is just an effort to avoid some of those things that just don't sit well with us. And unfortunately, um, I think especially as Christians, but even if not, sometimes we use this, this Bible right here, as a barrier as well. To not only avoid our problems, but to distance ourselves from other people's problems. What do I mean by that? We hear, and again, I am the first one to admit that I do this too. But I read about devastating news on Facebook, and the first thing I do is thoughts and prayers, praying hands emoji, heart emoji, right? But if we're honest with ourselves, when was the last time we actually picked up the phone 
and called someone and just, even if we didn't know what to say, just sat there in their pain, in their hurt with them. Or if we're really honest with ourselves, when we say these messages like, thoughts and prayers, did we actually take a moment to lean in and pray for them? Or did we just say we were going to, so it was like a, all right, off my plate, onto them, I did my job, now I don't have to feel the pain that they're going through. Or maybe we have a friend or a family member who's suffering from anxiety and panic attacks. Right? We say, we say, well, you know, Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious about anything and everything, just present your request to God. Right? And it's like we use Bible verses as, well, here you go, just read this, you'll be okay. But instead, what if we leaned in? What if we actually sat with them in the middle of that panic attack? And even if we didn't understand what they were going, to, going through, what if we tried to understand What if we sat there with them and helped carry some of that panic with them? You see, you guys, the Bible is meant to be a playbook, not a band-aid. You know, so often we just sprinkle Bible verses on ourselves and on other people just to kind of like stop the bleeding. But in reality, we need to use this as a how-to guide because the Bible is full of stories of hurting people hurting other people. And it tells us exactly what Jesus did in those situations. You see, Jesus was a pro at leaning into uncomfortable, messy situations. And he didn't just point these people who are hurting to Scripture. He didn't just send them a text saying, thoughts and prayers with you. No. He sat there in that pain with them. He leaned in in their hurt and in their pain. He cried with them. He laughed with them. The Bible is full of these examples, and we're going to look at one in particular today that might be familiar to you. But if you want to turn your Bibles on or open them up, we're going to be looking at John chapter 11. And we're going to kind of be covering a lot of verses, 1 through 45. They'll be up here on the screen, and we'll kind of read them and stop as we go. But I picked this story for two reasons. One, because again, it's a great example of a time where Jesus really leaned in. Where even when the situation was uncomfortable, he really sat there with the the people in the story and leaned in. But also I picked this story because it's talking about what we talked about in the beginning. A beautiful example where we get to actually see the ending of the story we get to see that big picture view of God's bigger plan in all of it. But when we zoom into the finer details of the story, which we're going to do, it doesn't make sense whatsoever. And, and the people in the story are asking the same questions that we ask ourselves today, which is why. So let's just dive right in. We're going to start in verse 1, so John 11, 1 through 7. And I'll read it, and we'll kind of stop, and I'll point some things out. But starting with verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Okay, so I want to point a few things out here. First of all, we read that Lazarus, right, who we hear is sick and dying, is extremely close to Jesus. We read that Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, I mean, they are, if you put yourself in the story, think about your best and closest friends. I mean, they love each other dearly. This isn't some stranger to Jesus. This is someone he deeply, deeply cares about. And we also read that when Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick and dying, he immediately picks up all his stuff and he makes his way because he can't miss. He needs to say his final goodbyes to Lazarus. That's not what we read. When Jesus hears that his closest friend is dying, he waits how many days? Two Two days to even make his way to go see his dying best friend. Now again, if you know the ending of this story, I want you to just kind of take a step back and just really focus on this part right here. Because to all of us, we should have a bunch of exclamation marks and question marks going on in our head like, what? Why? Why would Jesus wait two full days to go see his dying best friend? So hold on to that thought as we keep reading. Let's continue on in 17 through 24. So on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now again, let me stop for a second. So obviously back in this day, they didn't have cars. So it was one day's travel from where Jesus was to where Lazarus was. So by the time that the message got to Jesus, one day had passed. How many days did Jesus wait? Two days to go see him. And then by the time he actually got to Lazarus, Lazarus had been dead in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. So we see kind of two different approaches to conflict here, right? Martha kind of confronting it, Mary staying back. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So again, we see the anger, right, in Martha. She's like, Jesus, if you had been here, why did you wait so long to get here? If you had been here, you could have done something to save my brother, your dear friend. Why did you wait so long to get here? And Jesus' response is, well, you'll see him again. Right? It's just kind of like if we have a loved one that dies and someone says to us, in good intention, well, you'll see them one day. And Martha's like, I know, but that doesn't change the fact that I don't get to right now. I know I'll see him one day but you weren't here, Jesus. So let's really hit this point home. So let's continue reading. Verse 32, we're going to skip ahead a little bit. 
32. So now we have Martha, right, confronting Jesus. Now, in starting in verse 32, when Mary reaches the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So again, everyone here is asking the same darn questions that we ask, why? You see, they've seen Jesus perform these miracles. We know that they know that he could have done something to save Lazarus, and yet he chose not to. And the second thing I want to point out here is that we see in these passages in particular that Jesus is very distraught. I mean, the language that's used here is not that he was sad. It's that he was deeply moved, that he was deeply troubled. And in verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, but I would argue almost the most powerful verse in the Bible, it says Jesus wept. He didn't shed a tear. He wept. And you know what's interesting about all of this is that he could have avoided all this pain and suffering, right? If Jesus would have just done the easy thing and snapped his fingers and healed Lazarus, he could have avoided all this pain and all this sorrow for all these people and himself. But yet we don't see that here. We see that Jesus, he trusts in his father's bigger plan. He knows that there is a bigger plan that these people might not yet see, but he trusts in it. And he doesn't just say, hey, everything's going to be okay. Thoughts and prayers, don't worry about it. No, he sits there with them. He cries with them. He weeps with them. He comforts them in their mess. And here's the thing, I think for a lot of us, bringing this back to our day and age in the 21st century, a lot of our stories end here, right? Because see, in the story, everyone's weeping at the death of a loved one. And they're all asking the same things. Why didn't you do something, Jesus? For a lot of us, we ask the same things. We're sitting here at the loss of loved ones. We're dealing with whatever else is going on in our lives, and we think and we ask the same things. Why, God, if you can, when we know that you can do miracles, why do you not do something? But again, what's beautiful about this story is that we actually get a glimpse into the answer to that question. You see, in verse 44, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. He tells Lazarus, Lazarus, Get up, come out, take your grave clothes off, walk among us. And then in verse 45, we read this. Therefore, after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and he comes out of the tomb, therefore many of the Jews who had, to come, to, who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. You see, Jesus had to have waited those days to go see Lazarus. Jesus had to have sat there with them in their pain so that 
these Jews that were witnessing the situation could come and could believe in him. Had it not been for all those confusing things that he did in the meantime, these believers might never never seen and understood the power of Jesus. And so I hold on to this story. I hold on to this story for hope and, and as a reminder that God does have a plan and that God is good. And that even when we can't see what's going on, even when we don't have clear answers, we can still trust that he is good and that there is a plan in it. And the real miracle happens when, when we lean in. When, when we lean into those messy, uncomfortable situations and we sit with other people in their pain and we, we help to shoulder and burden that pain with them, Because it's in those moments of us leaning in that we feel Jesus right next to us. We feel Jesus sitting with us, crying with us, laughing with us, carrying our burdens with us. And that, in that moment right there, that's where the real transformation takes place. It's not in the outcome of the situation, but it's in the messy middle when we choose to lean in And choose to see and feel Jesus leaning in with us. So if you're like me, you know, I like some kind of practical steps when it comes to teachings. Um, Because it's one thing to hear, you know, some hope and some good news. But it's a different thing to walk out these doors and experience all the hurt and the pain that we experience on a daily basis. And so I want to give you just kind of two very practical ways that we can start to lean in this week more intentionally. And obviously these are only two. So this list is, I mean, it can go on forever. Uh, But this is maybe just a good starting point to, again, help us kind of think of ways that we can be more intentional in the ways that we lean in. And the first thing is this, um, it's to use your morning as motivation for movement. It's a lot of M's, but let me explain what I mean. Use your morning as motivation for movement. Put another way, turn your pain into purpose. Ask yourself, what breaks your heart? Because if it breaks your heart, you know it absolutely breaks God's heart as well. And when you ask yourself this question, what breaks my heart? then do something about it. Turn your morning into motivation to take one step in the right direction. If it breaks your heart that there are teens out there who don't have a home or a safe place to go to talk about Jesus or to to talk about just the things that they're going through, if that tears you up inside, go volunteer at the youth center. See the way that Jesus is moving in the lives of those teens. So turn your morning and use it as motivation for movement. And the second thing is when we get stuck in this, again, never-ending, never-answering cycle of why, where we can drive ourselves crazy trying to ask why, why, turn your whys into hows. Because again, we'll never... No, this side of heaven, the answer why some things happen. Sometimes we will, most of the time not. But if we start to ask ourselves how in the middle of those confusing situations, 
we again can start to take movement forward. How can we be a light in this situation? How can we make a difference? How can we see the good? How can we grow and learn even in this really crappy situation? Um, Mr. Rogers, so familiar with Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Anyone out there? Okay, so I'm young, but I remember watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood growing up. Uh, But there's a quote that I saw that he said, um, and we'll put it up here, and I just love it. And he says this, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. I think that's just a beautiful quote and kind of going back to, instead of just asking ourselves why, asking how, how can we be the helpers? So I told you I'd kind of come back to that tapestry, right, that we saw a picture of in the beginning. Because look, I'm human too, and there are times when I just get so caught up in the confusion and the hurt and just everything going on, and every time that I find myself in just kind of this down state um, where I just want answers, I always think of this analogy that I kind of came up with, and it's the analogy of a tapestry, Because you see, a tapestry is made up of thousands of different threads, all woven together to create this beautiful masterpiece. Some of the threads are pink, some of the threads are black, some of the threads are white, blue. Some of the threads are super long, other threads are really short. Some of the threads make up this ocean, some make up the plants, some make up the ground. Some touch all pieces. Some of those threads are woven with one another. Some of them are not woven with other pieces, but every single piece, regardless of the thread that is used, has a purpose in the final picture and in the final plan. Because no matter what, if you change one tiny thread in this tapestry, it would change the entire picture. We are the threads in God's tapestry. Some of us are black, some of us are white. Some of us have really long lives. Some of us have really short lives. Some of us live here. Some of us live there. Some of us have threads that are woven really closely together. Some of us will never even be woven with other pieces. But every single one of us has a purpose in God's bigger plan. Every single one of us has a purpose. Even when we can't see the bigger plan, we all have a purpose in it. And our purpose comes alive when we choose to lean into those uncomfortable situations. When we choose to sit in the unknown. When we choose to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. When we try to wrestle well in this messy middle of life when we lean in and turn our mourning into movement and our whys into how. And it's in those moments where we lean in that Jesus meets us there. And when Jesus meets us there, he sits with us, he cries with us, and he carries the burden with us. When that happens, miracles take place. Death is overcome. And lives and hearts are transformed. So I'm going to say a prayer to close us out, and then we'll have one song. And during the last song, I want you to just sit, stand, whatever you feel most comfortable, but really remind yourselves that even in the middle of these hard things of life, you have a purpose 
in God's plan. Let's pray. God, this is a tough time, and all of us are wrestling with things that we just don't understand. And we want to understand, but we also know and can trust in you. That even when we don't see the bigger picture, we know that, God, you are so good. And you don't leave us alone. You don't leave us to figure the things out on our own. But you are so gracious to sit through it with us. And to be there to comfort us. So that way we can comfort others. Help us, God, this week to just lean in more intentionally. That even when things feel icky and we don't know what to do, help us to take one step forward one step towards you. Lord, just be with us this week. Be with the families who are enduring just such tragedy in their lives right now. And we just ask that you, you be there for them and you wrap them in your love and in your comfort and that they, can, that they know that they can turn to you and trust in you in your holy and beautiful and precious and amazing and loving name we pray. Amen.